You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Be'ezras Hashem, tonight we're going to be picking up again, starting off again with our series of Shirim on Rabbi Nachman and the possibility of joy. And we left off last with Rabbi Nachman's visit to Meiron and the promise that there would come a time where there would be such a tzaddik who would be able to answer the question of Rabbi Shimon. When Rabbi Shimon screams out, Meiron, who is it that has the chutzpah to be happy here? Who is it that has the spiritual courage and brazenness to be happy in spite of all things, to be happy in spite of the cries that emerge out of the later generations, Rabbi Nachman was able to answer with confidence, Anirun, I am the one who will be joyous. I am the one who will teach them how to be joyous, to teach them how to dance, even when dancing is not what they want to do. What we're going to be speaking about tonight, Be'ezer Sashem, is going to be a hagdama, a mazgeret hadavarim, a framing of the further conversations we'll have about the nature of happiness and how to be happy and the practical etzos and the practical insights and pieces of advice that Rabbi Nassim records from Rabbi Nachman and that Rabbi Nachman offered us about how to be happy in a world where happiness is difficult. Because like we said in the beginning of the shirim, the chiddush of Rabbi Nachman is not that he demanded joy. It's not that he demanded an abandonment of the mind to enter into a false sense of joy but rather Rabbi Nachman cultivated a space of spiritual worship where we can find joy in spite of the fact that we live in a world that does not offer the recipe for joy. That's the Chiddush of Simcha. Because like we said in the name of the Maharal, that Simcha is a chush of Shlemus. Simcha emerges out of a sense of wholeness where a person feels okay with where they are at that moment, where they feel that they are enough. As Chazal tells us in Pirkei Avos, Ezehu Ashir Hasameach Bechelko, that Simcha itself is dependent upon a recognition that all I have is my own chilek, all I have is my part, which is the opposite of wholeness. But nevertheless, it's a Simcha, it's a sense of wholeness, in spite of the fact that we live in a space of brokenness. That's the Nakuda of Simcha, that's the possibility of joy, the choice to find a sense of wholeness, to believe in wholeness, in spite of the fact that the territory that we live within is the opposite of wholeness. That's the birthplace of joy. And for Rabbi Nachman, and the novelty of Rabbi Nachman, one of the novelties of Rabbi Nu, is that joy became such an essential point in Avodah Hashem. Because there were very few tzaddikim like Rabbi Nachman who were able to look at the world and point out that it's the opposite of wholeness. They looked at the world and they were able to see that this is not the world that we were promised. In fact, there's no world whatsoever. In fact, this world appears to be hell because of the suffering on each and every individual level, on each and every particular level. And the more and more Rabbi Nachman dug deeper into this worldliness, dug deeper into the very nature, 
that constitutes what it means to be a human being in this world, he came to find that so much of this world is the opposite of wholeness. So much of this world takes away even the possibility of believing in wholeness. The marashchayra of this world, the despondency of this world, the menios of this world, the preventions that stand in front of a person every which way that they turn. And beholding this reality, gazing deeply into the abyss that is this world, that is this worldly experience, Rabbi Nachman was not forlorn. Rabbi Nachman did not give up hope. Rabbi Nachman did not announce and wipe his hands clean of the spiritual journey, but rather he emerged out of that confrontation with the bleakness of life, and he said, the only avoda that we need to do is cultivate joy in the face of all of this, that the ikr is to be besimcha, that the main thing is to find joy, not in spite of this worldliness, but rather through the very receptacles of this worldliness, so that even those things which appear to be the opposite of joy, even those things which seem to detract from the possibility of joy, in the world of Rabbi Nachman are transformed into the very receptacles, the very kalim that promote the emergence of a doubled joy that is not simply happy with light, but rather finds happiness in darkness as well. Because joy is not dependent on any external circumstances. Joy is not dependent on possession. Joy is not dependent on a person having what they need, but rather joy is dependent on a shift in perception that says, I have everything that I need. Whether or not I have what I need, I have everything that I need. Whether or not this world offers me the opportunity of joy, I will be joyous in spite of all of that. Rabbeinu Sha'ag Bekol Gadol, Rabbeinu screamed out in a very loud voice that this world is going to promote the tendency towards Yeyush. That is the ultimate reality of what it means to be a human being in a world that is muster betachlis ahester, that is concealed in all matters of concealment. Or as Chazal tell us, in a world that operates according to its minhag, in a world that appears to operate without any reasoning, without any mishpat, without any tzedek, nevertheless, it is the very sight of Bechira, it is the very place that we are meant to affirm the unconditional hope that a human being has to have in their neshama, in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in the Torah, and in the tzaddikim. So for Rabbi Nachman, joy is not some simple matter. It's not simply the announcement to abandon the intellect and throw it away and act like a fool, but rather it's a willingness to descend into the very particulars of what it means to be an intellectual, to understand everything, to penetrate everything with the depth of the mind, to uncover the seichel shebkol davar, to understand the prate pratis, to understand everything there is about the world, not to shield our eyes from difficulty, not to turn away with a grimace at the face of this worldliness, not to flinch in the face of that which is difficult, but rather to gaze unflinchingly and to descend even deeper into the very fabric of this reality in order to uncover the everlasting possibility of joy that exists within every particularized particular of what it means to be a human being. That is the Chiddush of Rabbi Nachman, to find joy where joy appears to be an impossibility, to choose joy even when joy is not the most natural state. That very early on, one of my earliest memories of my encounter with Rabbi Nachman, before I understood that I don't understand anything about Rabbi Nachman, I remember doing a search for Rabbi Nachman. And there was some website and it described Rabbi Nachman as the tzaddik who assured sadness, the individual who said that sadness is prohibited. Now you don't give a prohibition for something unless the tendency is naturally there. And I think it's very true 
that for Rabbi Nachman, the world leads a person to despondency, a natural proclivity within the self, within the brokenness of the self, within particular neshamos that are attuned to these types of sounds that emerge out of our experience in this world. Sadness is a natural attitude, but it is specifically those neshamos who find themselves connected to this great doctor. As Rabbi Nachman says, those who are sicker than the rest need a doctor who is greater than the rest. And those of us who live for the life-giving medicine of our tzaddikim, we understand that although sadness is a natural proclivity in this world, nevertheless, it, it is our job to overcome that tendency and to force sadness into the circle of joy, to force sadness to elevate and magnify joy. That is the chiddush of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Before we go in, to some of the specific teachings that we're going to be utilizing to bring this point out, I want to shed a little bit of light that's spoken about in the later generations of Breslov that can contextualize a little bit of part of Rabbi Nachman's process. Now, famously speaking, Rabbi Nachman and Chaya Maharan was asked to describe the shayrish of certain tzaddikim. And he said as follows, he said, the Magad of Mezrich, the main disciple, of the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh is the Darga of Chachma, is the Darga of unbridled godly presence in this world without any distortion. That Koyach Ma, that initial burst of enthusiasm which sees no distortion, no distinction, but only the grand unified thunderstrike of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's light in this world. And the Baal Shem Tov, says Rabbi Nachman, is the Darga of Bina that is above Chachma. Now there's something contradictory about this because generally speaking, Bina, or understanding is rooted in severity, is rooted in separation and distinction and the capacity to discern the difference between one thing or the other. It's associated with the left brain that sees concepts being cut and separate from one another. And at first glance, it would seem that the opposite is being revealed here, that the Baal Shem Tov, who was the Rebbe of the Magad of Mezrich, is of a lower spiritual level than the Magad of Mezrich because the Baal Shem Tov is associated with Bina, and the Magad of Mezrich is associated with Chachma. But what Rabbi Nachman says is that it's the Bina that is above Chachma, meaning to say that in spite of the fact that Bina or severity of the mind or distinction, distortion, separation, categorization, the birthplace of Gevuros, even though typically speaking, it's lower than Chachma, it's lower than that general perspective that sees the holistic unity amongst all things. Nevertheless, there's a certain place in the Seder Hishtalshalist, there's a certain way of understanding the transitions between these modes of divine consciousness that sees Bina as operating on a higher level of Chachma. That in truth, the separation and the distortion and the distinction and the severity that cuts between one thing and another, that that koach of bina of understanding to discern between the day and the night, that capacity to make razor sharp cuts between one idea versus another, that severity, in spite of the fact that it looks difficult and painful, nevertheless maintains a certain spiritual profundity that is above and beyond the simple unity of Chachma. And just as Rabbi Nachman applied that level to the Baal Shem Tov, Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman, who was the son of Rav Nachman Tolchiner, who was the Taman Mufak of Rabbi Nosson of Nimrov, who was the Taman Mufak of Rabbi, Nos, of Rabbi Nachman, writes in his Sefer Koychve Or, in the Chelek of Chachma and Bina, he goes to great lengths to show to us that Rabbi Nachman is Mushrash in the Sira of Bina. That Rabbi Nachman's entire Avoida 
on a certain level from a particular perspective is this avoida of bina, which is a descent into distortion, a descent away from the clarity of the mind into the confusion of the mind, a descent away from light into the opposite of light, a descent away from simplicity into complexity, a descent away from things being fixed into things being broken. But it's not, God forbid, for the purpose of descending into the muck, but rather it's for the purpose of descending into the muck and the dirtiness of Bina in order to reveal a level that is higher, which is the level of Keser. So on a certain level, the entire Avoida of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov was to come down into the world of disparity, into the world of pain, into the world that is the opposite of happiness, and to reveal from within that very place, or as Rabbi Nachman himself describes in some teachings, to descend into the belly of the snake itself, to force it, to vomit out the sparks of holiness that reside specifically in that dark place, or to go into that lowly place, that place of Uman, that place of the Haskalah, the opposite of Kedusha, and to reveal the inherent Kedusha that exists there. So that on a certain level, according to Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman, Tolchina and Koich Ve'or in the Chelek of Chachma and Bina, and there's other Ramazim to it as well, that Rabbi Nachman's entire purpose was to go into this place of Bina, to go into this place of darkness, to reveal a light that is greater than would have been possible without the descent into darkness. And when we look at our Tzadikim, when we look at our Meforshim, our Mekubalim, for example, we could look at the Emek HaMelech, Rav Naftali Bacharach in his Hakdama. We can look at the Leshem Shabbat We can look at the writings of Rav Chaim Vital. And we see that the Indian of Bina, in spite of the fact that it's a descent away from holistic unity, it's also the birthplace of Simcha. Eim HaBanim Samecha. The mother of the children, Bina, which rests above the six lower spheros of Chesed, Gvura, Teferas, Netzach, Yesod, and Malchus, is the Shairesh of Simcha. Because simcha comes specifically by way of sweetening severity. Simcha does not emerge from a monolithic experience where all things are equal, where all things are easy, but rather simcha emerges specifically out of the descent into the struggle and being mitmodated with the struggle, confronting the struggle, forcing the struggle to admit to the light of Kedusha, forcing darkness to acknowledge the prowess and the power of Kedusha over darkness, and then dragging it back into the system of Kedusha to reveal the Tosefes Kishut, to reveal the greater level of unity that emerges out of confusion and out of distortion. That's the birthplace of Simcha. Because it's through simcha that we emerge out of constriction and out of enslavement. Without the enslavement, there could have never been simcha. Because without the difficulty, without confronting that which is opposite to simcha, we would never truly appreciate simcha. It would be a perpetual pleasure that doesn't find any confrontation to it. But being forced into the corners of darkness and fighting for simcha, announcing that we believe in simcha in spite of the fact that we don't feel it, that gives birth to a double nature of simcha. Kibbutz simcha teitzeyu, it's the simcha of coming out of the opposite of simcha. And then we say, gladden us, bring us joy like the days that we suffered. Because when we can find true joy, we can look back retroactively speaking on the days of our suffering, each person according to their own level. And we can see how the opposite of simcha was in truth just the incubator for simcha. And all of those things which seem to be darkness in relationship to light were truly opportunities for us to force light to magnify itself, to potentiate itself, to intensify itself, to make itself greater than it already actually is. And this avoida of simcha, 
that comes specifically out of the confrontation with darkness. Again, this is not eating maror. This is not Rabbi Nachman telling us that we should be despondent, God forbid. This is not Rabbi Nachman telling us that we shouldn't believe in simcha. This is Rabbi Nachman being a realist, so to speak. This is Rabbi Nachman gazing at the world that HaKadosh Baruch has created and recognizing that this is the Metzias, kacha. This is how HaKadosh Baruch created the world, with the opposite of simcha nearly present everywhere in our lives, with minios, with difficulties, where spirituality is not easy. Spirituality is difficult. The spiritual quest in one's life is the hardest thing a person is ever going to have to do. But it's hard because that's where the light comes out. It's hard because confronting the difficulties is not simply a way towards the light, but that's where the light is hidden. Moshe niga kisham As Rabbi Nachman teaches us, Moshe Rabbeinu enters into the darkness, the cloud of darkness and confusion. Kisham Now the typical understanding is that Moshe Rabbeinu descended into concealment for the sake of breaking through it and ultimately coming through on the other side to reveal a light that exists afterwards. But in truth, the way that Rabbeinu teaches us it is that kisham it's specifically within the mania itself, it's specifically within the concealment, within that which is difficult in our lives, within those pockets of difficult energy, within those points of indecision that keep us stuck. It's specifically there that we encounter HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that Hashem hides himself in difficulty because the difficulty is also HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what Rabbeinu was coming to teach us. That the goal is not to break through darkness and come to light. The goal is to recognize that darkness itself shines because darkness is also an expression of a Kaddush Baruch Hu. And that's going to be the birthplace of Simcha. The Simcha that emerges not only when things are good, but specifically when things are not good, specifically when things are difficult. And Halavai, the difficulty should be easy. The difficulty should not be a big deal. The difficulty should be simple in a person's life. But each and every person, according to Chazal, understand what difficulties are. On our own subjective reality, we all understand what it means to live in a world where joy is difficult, where joy is not a given. And that is the birthplace of our Avodah Hashem, to choose Simcha to force ourselves, to be to compel ourselves towards Simcha. And as we're going to see in future weeks, the different cognitive tools or active principles that Rabbi Nachman offers us in terms of compelling oneself to joy, whether it's dancing, whether it's acting like a fool, whether it's pretending to be an animal, whether it's a sigh, whether it's a cry, whether it's talking to God, we're going to see all of those things. To utilize a makor that we've spoken about in the past, it's one of my favorite makoros. And we've spoken about this before, that towards the end of Rabbi Nachman's short but very long life, Rabbi Nachman decided that it was time to bypass teaching Torah. That Rabbi Nachman felt that speaking to the intellect or even the heart of the individuals of his chassidim was not doing it. Rabbi Nachman felt on a certain level that he was not capable yet of conveying the message that he was trying to convey. And so Rabbi Nachman announces that I was on the path and I began to tell tales. And what Rabbi Nachman tried to do was to bypass the intellect, to bypass the egoisms that make us feel self-sufficient within ourselves and speak directly to the vulnerability of the heart, to speak to the Lev Basar, to allow the heart to melt in a thousand pieces so that we can then examine the broken pieces, pick them up again, mend the heart once again, and recognize the delicacy and the vulnerability of what it means to be a Jewish person in this world. And in the last tale that Rabbi Nachman told, in the Maisa of the Sheva Habat Larim, in the Maisa of the Seven Beggars, Rabbi Nachman gives a remarkable introduction. 
Rabbi Nassan had brought the news to Rabbi Nachman. And this was one of the things that Rabbi Nu started doing towards the end of his life. He asked to see the news very often. Ma'achadashot, what's new? Because everything about Rabbeinu was his chadshus. Everything about Rabbi Nachman was renewing oneself at every moment of encountering that standstill in one's life, the limit point in one's experience, where one feels that I can't do this anymore, and to hit that limit and then to make that renewed decision to start afresh, and then to hit the limit again and then to start afresh again. As Rabbi Nachman writes in Sicho Saran, that there were times where I had to start tens of times throughout the day, hundreds of times throughout the day, because the Iker was the Hishachas, the Iker was not starting again, the Iker was the Hishachas, renewing myself and recognizing that I am not the person I was a moment before and I will be a different person the moment after. That every moment of a person's life, every moment of a person's experience in this world is a standalone reality. And every opportunity offers itself to either be fixed or to be broken. Every opportunity offers itself to be a thought that draws me closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that draws more infinite light down into this world, or God forbid the opposite, to be a decision that pushes the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of this world. But every moment is its own existence. Every moment is its own reality. Every moment demands its own mode of hismoididus, of confrontation with it, of gazing into it. And every moment is afresh and every moment is new. So Rabbi Nachman asked to see the news because he wanted to have that his iris. He wanted to have that awareness that things are changing on an ever-changing level. Rabbi Nassan came to Rabbi Nachman and he said, he began to speak about how everybody was sad, how everybody had a difficult time. Even the rich were struggling. Even those who succeeded, they struggle more than those who are lo yutzlochim. And Rabbi Nachman says as follows before the introduction to the seven beggars tale, the 13th tale of the Sipuri Maisios Mishanim Kanmonios from those ancient tales that are so ancient that they're from the future. And Rabbi Nachman says as follows, I'm going to tell you how once upon a time people were joyous. I'm going to tell you how once upon a time people found joy in this world. And there's an adenendum after, there's an editorial shift that Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman brings down, which says that that was not simply what Rabbi Nachman said. Rabbi Nachman didn't simply say, I'm going to tell you how once upon a time they were happy. Rabbi Nachman says, I'm going to tell you how once upon a time they found joy from within despondency. That was the Chiddush of Rabbi Nachman. That was the teachings of Rabbi Nachman. Not simply how to find joy, but the how to find joy from within despondency itself. Not in spite of despondency, not a joy that negates despondency, but rather a joy that takes despondency and elevates it back into its rightful place in the dance of holiness, in the dance of Kedusha. Because in truth, there is no emotion. Sadness is usr. But despondency, marashchayra, difficulty, being aware of how hard things are in this world, that's part of what it means to be a Jew. That's part of what it means to be a full person, like the Zohar Kaddish tells us, and the Balatanya brings it down, that every Jew has to live with an awareness of that each and every Jew has to have two chambers in their hearts. One chamber that has tears of and bitterness entrenched within it, and one chamber of the heart that is entrenched with laughter and joy, because the two are not opposite to one another. The two dance in unison. And Rabbi Nachman continues in his Maisa of the Sheva HaBatlarim. And he tells the tale of a king. He tells the tale of a king who decides that he wants to give over his kingship to his son in his lifetime. 
Now, what does it mean that the king wanted to give over his kingship to his son in his lifetime? As I've been zeichet to hear from the true Tamid Chachamim and the Tamidim of the Tzaddik of Yitzchak, my Morgenstern Shlita, what it means is as follows. But there are klal, a king only transfers his kingship after his death. And so too, on a practical level, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should only transfer power over to B'nai Yisrael in the absence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But in truth, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to offer us is the ability to be king even when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is king. To show HaKadosh Baruch Hu that our avoida is significant to God. To find the light of Oilam Haba in Oilam Hazeh. To live the life of a king even when the king is still alive. Even when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is abundantly present in our lives, even when we find ourselves our job is to find kingship even in the lifetime of the king, to preempt kingship, to draw down the light of La'asilavo into our minds in the present moment. As Rabbi Nachman teaches us so often, that in the future, that in the future, that Sadiqim will sit and their crowns will be within their heads. And Rabbi Nachman asks the Kasha, it should say their crowns will be upon their heads. What does it mean that their crowns are going to be in their heads? What it means is that each and every person has the capacity to live their oin oilam haba in oilam haza, to be zoicher al medaasi, to remember the world to come as Rabbi Nachman teaches us. That's our job, to draw the future down into the present, to be kings even in the lifetime of the king. And the king says to his son, he says, but you need to promise me that you'll always be joyous. You need to promise me that you will always maintain your joy because I gaze at the stars. I see the future and there will be a time where you are going to fall away from Simcha. There is going to be a time where you're going to fall away from kingship and things are not going to go the way that you want them to go. And although you hope and you expect that things continue to go the, the way you need them to go, life is not going to go that way for you. There will be difficult days, there will be ugly days, there will be no good, very bad, horrible days. But the forceful nature of your avoida is to maintain simcha in spite of all of it. And the king says to his son, that is the prerequisite. The prerequisite is whether you can hold on to simcha even when you have absolutely no reason to be happy. Even when you descend away from simcha to hold on to simcha. If you can do that, says the king, then I'll be joyous because then you'll be worthy of being a king. So we see again that for Rabbi Nachman, the ikr is not simply to be joyous, but the ikr is to be joyous when we don't feel like being joyous, to compel ourselves to joy, to compel ourselves to look at any given situation in our lives with eyes of wholeness, with eyes of fullness, with eyes of shakai, with eyes of enoughness, with eyes of satisfaction, like the tam and the sipur of the chacham and the tam, who when he's eating his stale bread, he's mamish tasting steak. When he's drinking his stale water, he's mamish tasting his wine. It's not simply a ki'ilu, but rather it's the real reality that he sees the joy in his moment in spite of the absence of joy, and that joy transforms his experience. That's the power of joy. Rabbi Nachman writes in the Kodesh HaKadoshim in Sefer Hamidos, he writes as follows. He says, That when a person adds joy into their life, they strengthen the power of their mind. That joy is not simply the outcome of thinking properly, but rather joy is the birthplace of thinking properly. The more I force myself to be joyous, the more power I will have over the way that I look at the world. Joy is the prerequisite. Compelling myself to happiness is what gives me the strength to strengthen my mind afterwards.
Joy is not the outcome, but rather joy is the cause. By being glad, by finding presence in our lives, by judging ourselves favorably, by finding the moment itself to be enough, in spite of the fact that the past and the future are overwhelming, those are the places that we encounter HaKadosh Baruch Hu most, and that is how we are metchazek koyach Rabbi Nachman says as follows, and this might be one of the most significant teachings that we can find from Rabbi Nachman. When he discusses the nature of joy, and this is in the 23rd teaching in the second volume of Lukuta Maharan, Rabbi Nachman says, what is the nature of joy? What is the nature of what it means to be a joyous individual? And Rabbi Nachman says as follows based on a metaphor. He says that generally speaking, when people are joyous, they find themselves awoken into dance. Dance is the movement above this worldliness, right? Reaching our feet ever so slightly above the ground, highlighting the fact that all we want to do is overcome the inertia and the gravitational pull that holds us down and to elevate ourselves ever so slightly. That there are times where people are joyous and dancing. That when the joy and the joyous dance takes place, they see one individual who's sevrachin, who's broken, who doesn't want to dance, who has no reason to dance, who's standing aside. And the joy of the circle, they see this individual and they force him, they compel him into the circle of joy. And they compel him against his will almost to join them in their dancing. This is also the nature of joy. When a person finds joy in this world, when a person feels enough in this world, when a person feels whole in this world, generally speaking, the suffering and the difficulties and all of those things which stand opposite joy stand off to the side, not looking at the joy. They don't want to take part in the joy. But what's a greater level? to chase after the despondency specifically, specifically that counterintuitive transformation that says, even though you would assume that sadness is the opposite of joy, the Iker mile of joy comes about by forcing sadness into the circle. To force the opposite of joy, to force sadness into the circle. In the sense that the Marashchaira, the difficulty itself, is transformed directly into Simcha. That the Marashchaira, the despondency and the difficulty and the suffering and the mind and the anxiety and all of the difficult things are transformed into the Simcha itself. Like that person who is standing aside, afraid to join the circle. Greatness of Simcha, it has the capacity to transform all of the worries and the suffering and the difficult into part and parcel of the Simcha itself to the extent that it is Megadel the Simcha, that magnifies the Simcha, because now even sadness bespeaks Simcha. We find that we grab the Simcha, we grab the Marashchayra from the side and we force it into Simcha. This is the aspect of what the Pasuk says. In Yeshaya, Sasoin Vesimcha Yasigu Venasu Yagon Vaanacha, that we will find joy and gladness, 
we will grasp it and sadness and sighs will run away. That sadness and sighs and despondency, generally speaking, they run away from joy. Because generally speaking, sadness and despondency and brokenness and darkness don't want to have anything to do with joy. They want to stand on the side. But we have to run after them specifically to grab them and to draw them in to force them and compel them to join the circle of joy. And this is what the Pasuk means that the sasun and the simcha that we have, the joy that we find in our lives, that quiet, modest joy that a Jew walks around with, dancing even when there's no music, joy is even when things are not happy, that it should grasp, it should be masig v'yit It should grab hold of the sadness and the sighs and grab it and draw it into this world of simcha. That generally speaking, they, run a one or, they want to run away from simcha. But we have to be machnes we have to force them against their will to join Simcha. Because there is sadness in the world. There are sighs in this world. There is despondency in this world that emerge from the opposite side, from the side that blots out Kedusha, from the side that says things are not enough, from the sides that say I am not enough, from the side that says this world is not enough and what I have is not enough. And that part of ourselves, that part of this world does not want to be a chariot for the revelation of godliness in this world. And therefore they run away from Kedusha, they run away from Simcha. And therefore it is our task to force them into Kedusha. To compel darkness into light. To compel sadness to admit to the real reality of Simcha. Because like we said, simcha is not dependent on anything external. Simcha is a mindset. Simcha is specifically when we descend into that part of this world that is the opposite of simcha. That marashchaira, that descent away from simcha, that sadness, that death, that difficulty, all of those things that go bump. It is our job to force them to be magdil the simcha, to magnify, to make the simcha even greater, to show that joy is so big that it doesn't need a reason. I can choose to be joyous today. In this moment, I can choose to see the world as if it is enough. I can daven Hashem that my simcha should grab all of the reasons not to be joyous and force them to magnify joy itself. Rabbi Nassim of Nimerov has a remarkable, remarkable, expansive teaching on this teaching from Rabbi Nachman. And it's in Likute Halachos Evan Ha'ezer, in Hilchos Pruravu. Halacha Aleph, Simen Gimel. But just a small part of what we're going to be looking at from Rabbi Nassim, because Rabbi Nassim took this idea and reminds us that this is not simply an added benefit of joy, but rather this is the essential nature of joy. The essential nature of joy is to gaze despondency in the face, to look at all of the reasons in this world not to be joyous, and to say, I am going to be joyous in spite of all of this. Specifically here, I am going to reveal joy. Specifically in this lowest level, in that place of Bina, where it's a descent away from Chah, into egoism, into self, into distortion. And it's specifically there that I'm going to be Megala, the Im Habanim Smecha, Kibasimcha Tetzeu. And Rabbi Nassim writes as follows. The person always has to be besimcha and to strengthen themselves to the extent that they draw darkness and size into happiness itself. 
because it is specifically through the opposite of happiness, through the Baldava, through the Yitzhahara, which draws despondency and sadness into our lives. It is specifically through that that we have the capacity of magnifying our joy, of being Sameach Ma'od, of being very joyous, because we can say to ourselves that even though I'm so far, even though I have no reason to be happy, even though I have absolutely no permission to be happy, nevertheless, someone as far as myself can find joy. I can choose to find joy. No matter what, I have the ability to close my eyes, say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I am Boicher B'Simcha in this moment. Someone as far as me, someone who has all of the reasons in the world to be sad. It's specifically there that the mitzvah of Simcha emerges. It's specifically there that we transform the sadness into a great joy, which is the greatest unification imaginable, which is the level of Kesser, which is that place above darkness and light. And Rabbi Nassim continues a few pages down and he says as follows. He says that our job is to expand and enlarge in Simcha specifically through the difficulties of this world. That is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu created all of the worlds of concealment from the beginning to the end so that we have the capacity of recognizing HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence specifically in this lowly world itself, in this world which seems to be the polar opposite of the possibility of joy. For us, each and every one of us has the demand to say to ourselves that I am the purpose for all of creation, that it is specifically for me in this lowly place that I need to try and find joy specifically out of the Makomas HaRechokim, specifically out of darkness, specifically out of the polar opposite of joy. That's my job in this worldliness where there's difficulty and darkness and size and concealment. This is where the essential greatness and expansion of joy comes from. When we are able to transform the difficulty and the size into joy. That is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu created this world. That is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu created darkness. For us to choose joy. For us to realize that joy is not dependent on any prerequisite, but I can choose to be joyous in any moment that I find myself in. When a person understands that that was the demand of joy that Rabbi Nachman was demanding from us, it's specifically a joy that is not reasonable. It's not a joy that is natural. Rabbi Nachman is not saying, look at the world, it's so obvious to be joyous. Rabbi Nachman is saying, Hever, look at the world. Look how obvious it is not to be joyous. And that is why you have to force yourself to be joyous. When we can understand that avoid of simcha, of pushing ourselves towards simcha, of acting as if we're happy, of compelling ourselves towards joy, we can begin to understand the infinite possibility of joy in our lives at every single moment, which is what Rabbi Nachman was trying to teach us. But Ezra Shashem, what we're going to discuss next week is Rabbi Nachman's famous statement that it's mile deshtusa, acts of foolishness, abandonment of the mind, acting like an animal, acting like somebody who doesn't know left from right. We have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to act like animals on the forest floor, screaming out without any seichel in order to find joy. Because for Rabbi Nachman, without joy, this world is, is, is a sinking pool. Without joy in this world, we're stuck. Without joy, we've already lost. The ikker is to find joy in spite of everything, to be koifeth ourselves to joy. And Be'ezra Sashem, what we'll continue to do is learning the Eitzos Pshutos that Rabbi Nachman gives us insight into to try and find the light of happiness in this world, Be'ezra Sashem. The music is by Zusha. 
For more from the Chef of Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.